Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Do you ever find yourself dragging your feet or procrastinating when it's time to practice? Maybe you tell yourself that you'll practice after lunch, or after dinner, or after you empty the kitty litter, or after you do a quick search for articles on how to practice more effectively. Once you get started, it's not so hard to keep going, but why can it be so hard sometimes to just start? And is there any cure for practice inertia aside from simply making yourself start through sheer force of will? Remembered utility is a term used to describe our evaluation of how pleasurable or painful a past experience was, and we tend to use this information to make decisions about what to do in the future. For instance, if we had a horrible experience on our first day of swimming lessons, we're probably going to be more inclined to avoid swimming lessons in the future. The interesting thing, of course, is that our memory of such experiences is not 100% reliable and is vulnerable to a rather peculiar bias, sometimes called the peak-end rule. The peak-end rule states that our evaluation of past experiences tends to be based on A, their most intense point, and B, how they end. In a 1993 study, Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman and colleagues asked a group of people to stick their hands in uncomfortably cold water, but in two slightly different circumstances. In one condition, they had to keep their hands submerged in water chilled to 14 degrees Celsius for 60 seconds, which apparently is not so much fun. In another condition, they were asked to stick their hands in 14 degrees Celsius water for 60 seconds, plus an additional 30 seconds while the temperature was gradually raised to 15 degrees Celsius. Apparently, 15 degrees Celsius water still sucks, but it's noticeably less painful than 14 degrees. If our brains were perfectly rational, we'd choose the 60 seconds of pain over 60 seconds of pain plus 30 seconds more of slightly reduced pain. But our brains are not completely rational, because when given a choice of which of these two scenarios to repeat, almost 70% of the participants chose to repeat the longer one. Apparently, their perception of the experience was skewed by how their experience ended, rather than on the entirety of the experience. The same phenomenon has been observed in other areas, from colonoscopies to waiting in line. So a researcher at Washington University was curious to see if the peak-end rule might apply to studying challenging material too. As in, would students study more if the end of their study session felt less painful? 44 undergraduate students were told that they were going to study and be tested on three lists of words. 
Meanwhile, the participants weren't told that one of the lists was longer than the other, and that there was no third list. The reasons for this deception will become clear in just a second. Half of the participants studied and were tested on the short list first, which included 30 extremely difficult Spanish-English translations, followed by the longer list next, which included 30 different but similarly challenging Spanish-English translations, plus an additional 15 moderately difficult words placed at the end. The other half studied and were tested on the long list first, and then the short list next. After participants studied and were tested on both tests, they were asked a series of questions designed to gauge their experience of the two tests, such as, for the third study list today, you can pick which type of list you would like to repeat. Would you rather study a list of new words that was more like list one or more like list two? Or which list was more difficult to learn? Which list did you think took longer to learn? And which list was tougher for you to cope with? Participants performed better on the test for the short list, so in a perfectly rational world where test performance would predict one's preferred study method, the short list ought to be the preferred one. However, 73% of the participants preferred the longer list. Again, this is the one which had as many challenging items to study as the short list, but ended with the additional 15 easier but still challenging items. Most of the participants also rated the longer list as being less difficult and less tough to cope with. Their sense of time was also distorted, with 70% of the participants thinking that the shorter list took them longer to learn. In other words, a challenging study session that was longer but ended with slightly easier material was preferable to a shorter study session with challenging material throughout. So what are we to do with all of this? Well, like eating our veggies before dessert, it seems that saving our easiest or funnest practice tasks for last may help us perceive our practice session as being less of a chore and make it easier to get ourselves to practice again. It might be helpful, even in a rehearsal setting, to end things on an up note as well. And in a lesson, being sure to end with an experience that feels encouraging or easier or fun could help foster a more positive memory of the lesson, even if it was a very challenging one for the student. You can get the full transcript of this week's chat, plus links to various things that came up in conversation, at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog.